it's the last sermon in James. Um, really glad that we've been able to work through this together. Um, and tonight will be a really good passage. Um, it's really been convicting me and really helping me um, in my own walk with the Lord. And I'm sure that, um, Lord willing, it'll do the same for you. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, um, please turn with me to chapter 5, verses 19 to 20. So I also want to say at the outset that um, this passage can be a challenging one. Um, challenging not because it's hard to understand. Um, it's actually, I think, pretty straightforward. Um, it's challenging because it's hard to do. It's hard to carry out. Um, it has the potential to expose the sinfulness of our hearts in at least two ways. First, um, how our hearts are prone to wander, uh, like the song that we sang earlier. Um, and secondly, how passive we can be toward the wanderer. So again, our, our own heart's tendency to wander, um, but also our lack of thoughtful, loving pursuit of those who do wander. Um, so uh, I want to begin by um, reading John 3, verses 19 to 21. Um, and I think that this text will be helpful in setting the right framework for this message. And then I'll pray again. So John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Uh, let me pray. Father, I pray that you would send your light and your truth, um, that we would be those who love Christ, who is the light of the world. And for those in our lives who have once heard of Christ and looked to Christ and yet have wandered uh, from Christ. Um, I pray that you would give us a heart uh, to reach these people, to pursue these people in love. Do this for the sake of your son in your, in your precious son's name. Amen. So yesterday um, I was watching some rescue videos. Uh, I saw one where a dog was trapped in a car. Um, this was in the heat of the summer. And some ra uh, random passerby sees the dog clearly in distress. And he calls 911, but animal control seems to take uh, just too long. And so this guy smashes the window and just saves the pet. Um, and who doesn't like good rescue stories like that? Um, and I saw another one where a man who uh, went out kayaking, um, he's in his 60s. And he had him return by the date he said he was going to return. So camp rangers, uh, they find this person's belongings, and the deputies figure out that he's probably in this general location. After a few days of searching, a helicopter finally finds the person alive, floating in the river with a vest, uh, and the man survives. Um, by God's common grace, you know, our human impulse is to rescue the helpless on the verge of death. You know, whether it's a toddler trapped in a hot car, um, or a woman stuck in a vehicle that's overturned, um, or a man lying unconscious in a house on fire. And if that's our attitude toward even strangers who are in danger of losing their lives, um, then what is our attitude toward those we know who have once made a profession of faith? You know, they, they were in the church. 
but they've wandered. And if they do not turn back to the truth, then our text says that they will perish. And what is our attitude toward them? You know, are we just as earnest, even more so, in rescuing them from death? So that's what our passage talks about. Um, The final verses of James. Let me read it to you. Uh, Verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So this is how James ends his letter. Um, No benediction, no final greetings. Um, It might feel like an abrupt ending. Um, So sudden. Um, But I think this is entirely appropriate uh, because I think this is what James wants to leave in your mind as you finish hearing or reading this letter. He wants you to know that persevering in faith is not an isolated effort. I mean, to be sure, you as an individual must draw near to God. Um, But we draw near to God when we're alone with him and also when we're together. Um, Our faith is never meant to be something restricted to our private life. So this is a key idea. Uh, It's in the outline of your notes. True faith cares about the faith of others. You have a responsibility to rescue the wanderer. I'll say it again. True faith cares about the faith of others. You have a responsibility to rescue the wanderer. Remember how James started off this letter. In chapter one, he says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And he says, don't be the double-minded person, unstable in all his ways. And then for the rest of the letter, chapters two through five, he gives example after example of the double-minded person, the person who isn't a doer of the word and isn't steadfast in the trial. He says, you'll receive the crown of life. The Lord is coming. So don't be the double-minded person, but press on in faith. And that's the message of James. Uh, Patiently and prayerfully endure with true faith. So it's inevitable that if there are those who are steadfast in the faith, there are also those who deviate from true faith. Christ himself taught that there will be tares among the wheat and that the seed of the gospel is sown not only in good soil, but on rocky ground and among thorns. Um, The one who professes faith may be in the visible church for some time. This person might be a regular churchgoer and you might see him every week. But when tribulation or persecution comes because of the word, when he starts to feel the cost of faith, and that's when he falls away. Or she might even be serving in the church, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches lure her away from a relationship with the living God. James knows the reality of those who drift from the faith and finally apostatize. And so at the end of his letter, he answers this question. Given that our hearts are prone to wander, how do we maintain true faith and endure? And part of the answer is that I need you and that you need me. And we need each other so that we don't wander from the truth. And if one does wander, then we go and rescue. We go and save. So we're going to take a look 
um, at three parts of this uh, sermon. Uh, first, the need for restoring, the act of restoring, and the tensions in restoring. The need for restoring, the act of restoring, and the tensions in restoring. So first, the need for restoring uh, versus uh, the first part of 19 and then verse 20. So uh, verse 19a, my brothers, uh, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Um, so the first part, there's a lot of content. So just stay with me. Um, I think we need to be clear about what we're dealing with here. What do we mean by wander? Um, is this talking about any sin? Um, or is this more about apostasy, a clear rejection of the faith? Um, but in order to figure out wandering, um, I think we need to go to what James means by the truth. Uh, so if you look at your outline, we're going to look at the left side, um, verse 19, and we're going to work backward. So from the end of this clause to the beginning. So we'll deal with from the truth first. And this definitely includes doctrine, doctrinal truth. For example, in 2 Timothy 2, Paul says, um, he calls out these two guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And then verse 18, um, these two guys have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. In other words, they're spreading false teaching, um, saying that the resurrection has happened when it clearly hasn't yet. Um, so today, you know, that truth could be, um, for example, the Trinity um, or the deity of Christ. Uh, or salvation by faith alone. You deny those doctrines and you've wandered from the truth. But is this tied to just propositional theological statements? Um, and I would say no, uh, because we know that doctrine is tied to practice. I mean, the truth is something to be done as well as believed. And that's why you have language in the New Testament like walking in the truth, obeying the truth, and practice the truth. And then the whole point of James in his letter is that faith must be accompanied by practical godly living. So truth is both doctrinal and moral. <clears throat> okay, so what about wanders? What does that mean? The Greek for that is planao, um, which is where we get the English word for planet. Because um, a planet, it, it doesn't appear fixed in the sky. Um, but throughout the night, it seems to wander. So the word generally refers to any deviation, whether inadvertent or intentional, minor or major, any deviation. Um, but note what James says in verse 20. So we'll, we'll look at the phrase, will save his soul from death. <clears throat> That's what he says. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. So that's not referring to physical death because everyone dies, whether you wander or not. So James is talking about eternal death. And not only that, uh, the one who brings back a sinner will cover a multitude of sins. And that's the language of forgiveness. Um, David, in Psalm 32, verse 1, he makes this statement, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. In other words, to be covered is to be forgiven of transgression. <clears throat> so this wandering results um, in eternal debt uh, or death and an infinite 
debt of sins that remains uncovered. So it most likely points to apostasy. You know, a professing believer whose life demonstrates that he's rejected the faith. But with that said, um, I think we need to keep in mind that wandering is a process. You know, it's a spectrum. You know, you look at someone, how do you know that that person's wandered or is wandering from the truth? You can be at the, the far end of the spectrum where you've renounced the faith and maybe you've even joined a cult that has a twisted view of Jesus or it has a works-based system of salvation. Or maybe um, you're not at that end of the spectrum, um, but this person harbors a secret sin and his heart is hardened over time. And then when his sin is finally exposed, he rejects the faith because he loves his sin more than he loves Christ. And the most covert of sins can be indulged in again and again, not brought into the light, not confessed, not repented of. So any sin has the potential to so harden the heart that the person abandons the faith. And I think that's what James has in mind here. Wandering that has the whole process in view, but that culminates in a rejection of the truth. Okay, so who can wander? Who is James speaking to? He says, my brothers, if anyone among you. So this is among professing believers. Um, It's the visible church. It could be Lighthouse. Um, It could be any local church that you're a part of. And James says, anyone. Um, This isn't just the spiritually immature or the faint-hearted or the new believer. This is also the seasoned believer and the one who's weathered the storms of life. Um, The quote-unquote mature believer. The one who's been walking with the Lord for 50 years. So who does this include? This could be me. This could be Pastor Kim. Uh, This could be Pastor Francis. This could be any one of the staffers. And this could be you. Anyone among us. Um, It's a sobering thought. I mean, this is the reality of our weak and susceptible hearts. So two years ago, um, I remember this was the talk among the guys at my seminary, Um, someone well-respected in our circles. um, And by our circles, I mean uh, evangelical, reformed, Bible-believing, inerrancy-affirming, gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, expository preaching, that kind of a church. So this man, um, it was discovered that on at least two occasions, um, he was involved in an adulterous relationship. Um, once was a number of years ago, apparently. And then the other time was more recent to when it was exposed. That means that there was a hiding of sin. And this man was hypocr- hypocritically carrying out uh, ministry while this was going on. Um, and again, I, I, this man was not a false teacher. He's not a TBN kind of guy, a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. He's like one of us, except he's been walking with the Lord probably longer than every single one of us on this Zoom call. 
but by the kindness and grace of God, um, this man repented, um, confessed his sins. And, you know, a lot of people were hurt and he was not restored to ministry. Um, but forgiveness was extended to him uh, by his wife, his children, uh, the elders at his church. And you can imagine how much pain, how much confusion, hurt, betrayal, anger um, that those closest to him experienced. Um, but it still speaks um, volumes to the beauty and the power of the gospel that even such a person can be forgiven and that relationships can be reconciled. Um, but not all cases of wandering end in restoration. Um, that's why John says in 1 John 2.19, he's talking about those who reject the true Christ. Um, he calls them antichrists. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out. So that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So like the antichrists in John's day, and also Judas who betrayed Jesus. Um, some people who wander, they wander to their destruction. It probably doesn't take long for us to think of a person or several people um, who have once made a profession of faith, um, but over the years, they apostatized, you know, whether it's gradual um, or just at some particular moment in their life, they, they fell away. Apostasy. You know, does that sound extreme to you? Um, but that's what it is. They've abandoned the faith. <clears throat> and I remember um, a childhood friend of mine, um, we grew up in the same church, <clears throat> and I considered him one of my closest friends. Um, we went to church together. We prayed sang worship songs, read scripture, sat under the same teaching and preaching. Um, even uh, in the summer, our youth ministry had a week-long inner city missions in Long Beach, and we served together there. Um, and I remember one of our summer camps, um, my friend, he was a senior at the time, so his senior class performed a skit. And you guys might know this skit. Um, it's performed to a song called Everything by Lifehouse. Um, and the, the video went viral. Um, but yeah, so my, uh, my friend in his senior class performed that skit. It was um, ironic um, and kind of sad that, uh, yeah, my friend actually played Jesus in that skit. Um, and after high school, he told me, um, Seichi, like, <laughs> I feel like a hypocrite. Um, playing drums on the music team for worship um, because he knew in his heart that um, he, he just didn't want to follow Jesus anymore uh, if he ever did. Um, he wanted to pursue his own desires. Uh, he loved the world. Uh, he wanted to do what he wanted to do. And so he stopped going to church. And there's no shortage of stories like that. Um, I'm sure you know someone like that in your life as well. Um, but the point of James is not that we wallow in despair over how fickle our own hearts are. Um, I know where my child friend, childhood friend is at the moment. Um, yeah, he's still far from the Lord. Um, but what we don't know is the end of the story for those who are currently wandering. Um, we don't know what, what's going to happen, you know, years from now. 
Um, the point of James is that there's still salvation for even the wanderer if he comes back to the truth. It might take years, might take decades, but this is the point. The heart of true faith is the heart of a rescuer. The heart of true faith is the heart of a rescuer. So uh, we'll look then um, at number two, the act of restoring. Uh, the act of restoring, um, verse 19b. Um, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, here it is, and someone brings him back. At this point, I want to um, point out a connection between this passage and um, the passage earlier. Um, and you can argue that verses 19 and 20 is a continuation from the previous section on prayer, which Winston preached last week. And I say that because of verse 13, um, the expression, is anyone among you blank? So James is d- addressing um, different categories of people. Um, is anyone among you suffering, cheerful, sick? And then in verse 19, again, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. So for the first three cases, uh, if you fall into that category, whether you're suffering, cheerful, sick, then you are the person who does something. But then in verse 19, if you're the one who wanders, then the implication is that you can't do anything about it because you're wandering and you're the one in need of help. So it's a call to the rest of us to go and rescue Uh, But who exactly should do the restoring, the rescuing? Um, The word that James uses, someone, um, in someone brings him back. That's the same indefinite pronoun as the word for anyone earlier in the verse. So verse 19 could be translated, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and anyone brings him back. Um, So James is not saying It's the responsibility of the elders um, or the church leaders or the pastors. It's it's only their responsibility to go and rescue the wanderer. No, that responsibility falls on every single one of us. And we cannot be like ungodly Cain and retort to God, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, Because the fact is you and I, uh, we are our brother's keeper. Um, Because that's what it means to be family. Alistair Begg, um, who's a pastor, he he talks about this, how it's it's not just up to the pastors uh, to deal with sin or wandering in the church. It's up to all of us. He often says this to his staff, apparently. The eggs are all smashed on the kitchen floor. The eggs are all smashed on the kitchen floor. Uh, What he means by this is that when the eggs are all smashed and someone asks, Uh, Could you put these yolks and these whites back together in these eggshells? You can't. I mean, but that's what it almost feels like when an issue in the church is brought up to the pastors only because it's finally reached crisis level. Um, But that should not be the case. Um, It's reached crisis level partly because somewhere along the way in the normal life of the church, someone did not lovingly and gently come alongside that erring brother or sister to bring him back to the truth. Um, And that's the responsibility that we have to bring him back. That word um, can refer in the New Testament to the initial moment of salvation, or it can refer to the restoration of a believer 
So for that initial mo- moment of salvation, um, Acts 26, 18. I um, mean, this verse really captures the beauty um, and, and the power of uh, someone turning. So Paul's speaking uh, to King Agrippa, and he tells him what Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus. Um, this is what Jesus said. I am sending you, Paul, to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn there's the word, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And that's what happens when anyone turns to the Lord. They were once in darkness, but now they're in the light. They were once gripped in the power of Satan, um, but now they're in the kingdom, in the realm of God. Um, but this turning also describes those who've wandered you know, who've professed faith in Christ, but departed, but are restored. Uh, Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus is talking to Peter. Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, there's that word, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I notice that Jesus prayed for Peter's faith, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Um, and what did Jesus do after Peter denied him three times? In John 21, on that shore by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus himself was instrumental in restoring Peter to a life of faith in him. That's the heart of Christ. It's the heart of God who desires that his wandering children are brought back to him. It's the heart of a shepherd who leaves behind the 99 sheep to go after the one who has strayed. And that should characterize us as well. And the heart of true faith is the heart of a rescuer. So we've looked at um, the need for restoring, the act of restoring. And now we're going to look at the tensions in restoring. Um, verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Um, and here's what I mean by tensions in restoring. There are several. The, uh, one is, can someone who professed faith truly be in danger of hell? So can those of us here at Lighthouse in Beacon Um, who claim to be a follower of Christ, could we really someday, you know, maybe 10 years from now, be in danger of eternal death? On that final day of judgment, is it possible that any one of us here could wake up to find that our sins are not covered and that we would have to pay an infinite debt in hell? What do you make of this, um, Beacon? We cannot soften the impact of James's words here. Have you heard the expression, you know, once saved, always saved? Um, but it cannot be used as an excuse for, for us to pursue a life of sin and think that in the end we'll be okay. Or to think that because we've once said we believed in Jesus, or we pray to prayer, that it's okay if at some point we no longer believe in Jesus. 
eternal security is true. Um, it, I mean, it's taught in scripture. I mean, it, it, Jesus's words should be a great comfort to us. He says in John 10, they will never perish. Uh, referring to my sheep, my sheep will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So our salvation is secure in Christ. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. So how then do we reconcile the promise of eternal security and warnings given to a group of believers? This is how I would answer it. God ordains the means, not just the end. God ordains the means, not just the end. So God has ordained the means of warning so that we would heed the warning and are kept to the end. Our attitude should never be, you know, there's no way for me to fall away and suffer eternal death because I accepted Jesus into my heart before. Um, no, we, we have to feel the real threat of judgment for any of us who wander from the truth. And the warning has a purpose. It, it's not an empty threat. Warnings in the Bible serve to keep us from wandering and help us to remain steadfast in the trials. So that's the first tension. Um, but there's another tension in this passage. And the second one is this. Uh, who does the saving? You know, James says, whoever brings back a, a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. So what is the subject of the verb will save? You know, it's whoever, it's, it's you, it's me. Um, does it make you uncomfortable to think that you are called to save souls? You are called to be a rescuer, a soul winner. Um, do you think that it's a title reserved for only evangelists or pastors or church leaders? Uh, if you remember last week, Winston took us to verse 15, uh, 15, and he asked us this question, what restores the sick? Is it the prayer of faith or the Lord? And then he said, it's both. Um, that's what the passage says. And so it is in our passage tonight. I mean, we know that God is the one who ultimately saves. Um, I think it was in the passage earlier too that Scott uh, had brought up Second Corinthians 4, um, that the power belongs to God. Um, but, so we know that we don't have the power to save, um, but by what means uh, does God save wanders? I mean, he uses us. He saves through us. So just like he accomplishes his purpose many times through our prayers, um, so God saves the wanderer through his people, through us. We go and save souls. It, it's a both and. God saves and we save. I hope that language um, doesn't make you uncomfortable uh, because it's biblical. Um, it's the language of Paul. He speaks this way in Romans 11, verses 13 and 14. Um, and also, I'll read to you 1 Corinthians 9, 22 says, and this is a famous verse, I become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. Beacon, that must be our attitude, that we would go and save. So at this point, Beacon, um, who is it 
that comes to mind that you ought to go and save? Can you think of someone you know who once claimed to believe, who you once went to church with, but has wandered from the truth? He's no longer walking with the Lord. She's no longer following him. It could be someone in double A, someone from the church you grew up in, <clears throat> someone in your family, someone who, if nothing changes in their lives, they are in very real danger of eternal death. So third, I, I want to talk about uh, the tension in the relationship. Tension in the relationship. So now we're getting into the practical, uh, the how-to of restoring. Um, just like in evangelizing someone who's never believed, um, trying to talk to someone who's wandered is incredibly difficult. Um, it can be hard. Um, if you're familiar with passages that talk about restoration, um, then you know that you know, we ought to do it with love, humility, patience, and gentleness, right? I mean, those I put in your notes um, in some passages as well. And, and we know that we shouldn't do it um, with a tone that's overly critical or judgmental um, or, or harsh. Um, Spurgeon gave this great quote. I have known a person who has erred, hunted down like a wolf. I've known a person who has erred, hunted down like a wolf. Um, we cannot, we must not hunt people down like a wolf. Um, and if you want to take a look at some more passages that talk about restoration, um, I put them down in your notes. Um, but I wanted to give you some more specific applications of those passages. So these are practical tips that uh, I would encourage you to consider um, as you think about how to pursue someone who's wandered. Um, and these are just like my thoughts. And so I'm sure your staffer um, might have, you know, more to say. Um, they might have something to add to this list. So first, um, take the long-term approach. I mean, this is probably intuitive, right? Um, like, you know, you're probably not going to change the person in one conversation. And it could happen, um, but it's not likely. So my childhood friend that I talked about earlier, um, when I was in college, I had to sit down and, and really have that, that talk with him. So I, I explained clearly the gospel, make, making sure that he understood um, and asked him, is this what you believe? And he said, no. And it, are you going to reject Christ? I said, yeah. Um, and it's heartbreaking. Um, but does that mean that, you know, I'm never going to talk to this guy again? Um, that he's a lost cause? Uh, no. Um, that conversation was maybe like seven years ago now. Um, and at this moment in his life, um, he's actually in jail. Um, and so this year, I had two opportunities to visit him. Um, and in the intervening years, uh, I did not really keep up with him. Um, but amazingly, um, just the Lord arranged this circumstance in, in his life. Um, and I felt like th this, is the, this is a good time to, to go and, and see how he's doing, reach out to him. So one, take the long-term approach. Number two, uh, don't assume you know all the reasons. 
Um, so again, with my friend, um, my second time visiting him at the jail, um, this is, this is what he told me. Um, and I had no idea, um, that, that this was, I guess, going on in his thinking process. Uh, but he asked me this question, have you heard of the council of Nicaea? And then, yeah, like I have, um, and, and then I finally understood, I think, um, kind of why he asked that question. Um, and I wanted to talk more about it, but uh, the call was cut off because, um, you know, you're, you're limited in terms of how much time you have with the inmate. Um, but I, I realized when he asked that question that somebody in his life had told him about this council um, and, and probably the Nicene Creed. Um, to make him think that people made up this teaching that Jesus is God. Um, because my friend, he says he believes in God, but, I mean, you know, it's his version of God, um, but, but that he rejects Christ. So I, I share that story because I did not know that until very recently. Um, and um, I, I think that you know, it's good for us to think, oh, maybe, you know, this person's dealing with this issue or these issues. But unless we talk with the person, like, we can never be certain um, that these are the issues that he's wrestling with. Um, so if you know someone, for example, who just hasn't been going to church in months, I mean, you, you, you don't know why, um, you know, you're going to ask, hey, how's it going? <laughs> You know, I noticed that you haven't been to AA or, or Beacon or to church in a while. And I just wanted to check in and hear how you're doing, right? You're not going to go and make assumptions. Why aren't you going? You know, um, yeah, because this person may have not necessarily abandoned the faith, uh, but maybe he was genuinely hurt by the church and just needs someone to pursue him in love. So two is don't assume you know all the reasons. Uh, number three, enlist others, but don't gossip. Um, and I want to reiterate that, you know, according to our passage in James, anyone can go and should go restore. Um, but maybe there's another person who has a closer relationship with the one who wandered. Um, and if things progress and, you know, the situation gets worse, I mean, that's why you have Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, that, that's a, a, a passage on church discipline or restoration. So you take one or two with you. Um, you know, if you go up to the person privately, doesn't respond, then you take one or two with you. Um, and together you talk with the individual. So um, enlist others. Uh, but when you talk about the person, um, I mean, be, be mindful. Don't gossip. Number four is plead. Plead. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 um, says uh, that we are ambassadors for Christ. And, and this is the language that Paul uses. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Uh, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Uh, so you can read in the text and you can hear that it's, it's both God's heart and Paul's heart in calling people to be reconciled. And I remember in college, uh, when I was at GOC, um, 
my apartment mate, uh, a good friend of mine, he's, he's leading an evangelistic ministry in GOC. He shared with us this video by Pendulette. You guys might know him, the magician. And uh, basically in this video, Gillette shares how he respected this guy who tried to um, tactfully evangelize him. And uh, Jill, uh, Gillette had this respect for him. Um, and he posed this question. This is from my recollection. So it's probably, it's a paraphrase. Um, Gillette asks this, you know, if you really believe in hell, how much do you have to hate a guy to not tell this person how to be rescued from hell? Because if this is the reality for those who wander, um, can they hear it in your voice and in your manner and in your um, whole tenor uh, when you talk with this person? Can they hear the pleading in, in you? It's number four, to plead. Number five, pray and ask others to pray. Um, this pastor, R. Kent Hughes, tells the story of his wife. Um, Hughes, the, the husband, is the one writing this. Let me read it to you. Uh, I especially remember a situation in which my wife was called to confront another. A friend of hers, a wife with several children, had taken a secretarial position, and her boss had made advances toward her. The woman was flattered and had decided to toss everything for the affair. A few people liked to confront. Um, and my wife would have welcomed an out, but there was none. She prayed. I prayed. And we prayed together. She went to confront her friend, and I prayed more. When Barbara returned four hours later, she was exhausted. She explained that it had been a battle, and she actually felt she was fighting with the devil for the woman's soul. It was as if the devil had hold of one arm and my wife the other. Every rationalization imaginable was argued, and with considerable heat. But God be praised, the woman repented. And it was the true repentance, for she went on to serve Christ in the church in the following years. When we are called to confront, we must do so, relying on the wisdom and love of God. And uh, as he himself explains in this story, we got to do it praying um, and asking others to pray um, because this is going to wear you out. It's going to be emotionally taxing and exhausting. And there's no other way to do it um, apart from God alone who saves. Um, so pray and ask others to pray. Number six, be sensitive to timing. Uh, trust that God is working. Um, so after that first attempt to, to talk to this person and there's no response, um, he shuts you out or, you know, this person is clearly not moving toward Christ, then wisdom, wisdom will tell us how to proceed, you know, whether to, again, talk to this person or whether to wait. Um, we don't want to badger uh, or hound. Um, like my childhood friend, uh, after I talked with him in college, he, he was not willing to hear. Um, but I continued to pray, uh, waiting that the Lord would bring the right time. And who knows, that, that might be now, um, but maybe not. Uh, it might be years later from now. And I trust the Lord. Uh, another quick story. I have a friend. Um, he is, uh, I love this guy. He, he loves Christ. He's a few years older than me, uh, but we did grow up in the same church. Um, as an upperclassman in high school, um, he got into the wrong crowd. Uh, he got into drugs, 
um, went out partying and uh, he didn't want to go to church anymore. Um, and this continued uh, when he started UCI. Um, and he ended up in custody. Um, and he remembers that it was then that he feels like he finally like prayed for the first time, prayed sincerely. And you'd think that maybe that was the time when his life turned around. Um, but after the scare wore off, you know, from being in custody, he still wandered. Um, and it wasn't until some time later that a cult group on campus reached out to him. Um, and my friend studied the Bible with this group. Um, and it was through that that he really began to think deeply about the cross and about Christ. And so my friend, um, he started going back to our home church. Um, and he eventually left the cult group because this group taught baptismal regeneration. After prayerful study, my friend believed that that baptismal regeneration was wrong. Um, so it, it's an amazing story to think of how God worked in his life and who God used in his life. Um, and he thinks that he really came to know the Lord uh, when he was in college. Um, but, I mean, he would acknowledge that he heard the gospel when he was a kid and he grew up in a Baptist church. Um, and so the Lord used what he was taught at an early age. Uh, so all that to say, people have their timing and you got to be sensitive to that um, and, and trust uh, that God is working. And number seven, this is the last one. Pray more. Uh, pray more. Um, and I say this um, because no one is going to be saved without God's intervention. Um, but, but also that we ourselves have hearts that are susceptible to drifting. Um, and I pray that each of us here would never wander to the point of rejecting the faith. Um, but we can certainly become languid, sluggish, um, weary, even indifferent in our pursuit of, of those who do actually wander. Um, I was looking at the sermon by uh, Robert Murray McShane, um, who's a Puritan that lived centuries ago. Um, and I think it's like appropriate to the topic. And this sermon is about spiritual decay. Um, and I'll read to you very quickly the signs of spiritual decay that he lists in his sermon. And as I do so, I hope that you would consider how you're doing um, in the state of your own soul, the signs of spiritual decay. One, the Bible neglected. The Bible neglected. Two, prayer neglected. Three, Christ little esteemed. Christ little esteemed. Four, sin not hated. Five, Christians lightly esteemed, meaning Christians not uh, really loved. Finally, number six, the ungodly not warned. He also says, um, he gives two causes of decay. So the other ones that I just said were the signs of spiritual decay. These next two are causes of decay. He says one, a lust allowed to prevail. A lust allowed to prevail. Number two, worldly company. 
And I thought this would be helpful um, in this last category of pray more, um, because all of this that might be going on in our hearts, it contributes to um, maybe a lack of uh, love for our wandering friend or wandering person. So we ought to pray. And as we think about pursuing the wanderer, um, this is an example prayer. God, give me courage and boldness. Um, let the love of Christ control me so that it would move toward this person. Um, if that means sending an email, text, calling this person, God, help me to say what I believe you want me to say. And Father, forgive me um, for my fear, um, my laziness, my, my selfishness, my, my lack of love. Lord, strengthen me to pursue this person in love. Help me to know the right timing. And would you give me the opportunity to speak into this person's life? So begin, how might the word of God be challenging you tonight? Maybe someone did come to mind. What will you do? What will you do? And for the sake of Christ and the salvation of souls, can you and I go and play our part in the rescue of wanderers? Uh, let, me, let me close our time in prayer. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Um, your word is living and effective. Um, it searches us and exposes us and convicts us, um, but also gives us hope and renews us, revives us, strengthens us. Um, so I pray that it, uh, it continues to do so uh, as we reflect on your word in our small groups. Would you make that time profitable and fruitful for all of us? Thank you, God, for all my brothers and sisters here. It is a privilege and a joy uh, really to walk together um, to worship you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.